Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Everyone's doing great. Uh, shout out to our people on the front lines. Love each and every one of you. Thank you for uh, thank you to those of you who are protesting for our rights and our delivery guys and uh, everyone doing the right thing. Black Lives Matter. Love each and every one of you and support each and every one of you. Um, today's guest is one of the most important and the most special guests that we've ever had. Um, well, actually, we have two guests, but one, only one guest you hear from and you figure out who the other one is if she decides to make herself known. But she'll be, she's in the studio, trust me. You, 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 you'll figure out who she is in a little bit. She you know, has a way of intervening. But she's been she's been on the show before without really making herself known. Um, so the official guest of this episode is one of the biggest supporters that this show has, and is someone without whom this podcast wouldn't exist, and is one of the silent backers of this podcast, and it's. A great pleasure to bring and introduce the person known as Mama Ebi, and at the same time, a HR professional um, has been in New York for a while, but technically upstate. So you know, <laughs> we, we, we count. We, we still count as New York. You know, we, we count, but technically she's upstate, but. She wasn't uh, born in New York. She wasn't born in the United States. But at the same time, she's a New Yorker. And by the rule book, she's a New Yorker. And she is a super awesome person who's just, you know, she, she, she brings that efficiency to everything that she does. And today it's about her story, and she's just going to deliver and tell us a lot more. So without much further ado, I introduce Verena Tuna. <laughs> I almost met, I cast the them. But anyway, that's the lady known as my wife, my spouse. And she's going to d- talk about jollof rice and a whole lot of stuff today. So we'll settle the dispute on jollof rice and on other matters. So welcome on the show, Verena. Vigits? Say good, thank you. <laughs> yeah, genau, genau. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, that, that we, don't, we need to speak English now. We're in America. Speak American. All right, all right. <laughs> so, how are you doing today? I'm good. How yeah. are you? Uh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, it's good to see you. And um, I'm pretty sure people will be like, well, what, don't they live together? Or what? <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, and they're wondering who the other guest is. So, um, you might hear someone ramble a little bit, but she's our daughter. And she's two years old now and has a lot of opinions. So 
she's she has been bribed and so she's quiet right now but she might want to jump in on the interview but she's hiding and just chilling in the corner so let's dive in so let's begin at the very beginning okay. where was verena born and can verena introduce us to her childhood so i was born in munster germany um north westphalia close to the dutch border um, so that's still considered, I guess, like the northwest of Germany. So we do consider ourselves northerners versus southerners. That's very important. Oh, we'll come to that. <laughs> um, and I grew up the first like eight or nine years in uh, a suburb of Münster. And when I say suburb, it's almost like a suburb of a suburb. Um, it was a really little place um, that didn't even have a school. So we had to like ride our bikes for like three two miles to get to, to school. Um, and it doesn't look like this anymore, but it was literally like two miles of like fields and cows right and left of the street. Mm. So very different to where I live now in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and then we moved when I was like nine-ish, we moved um, to Münster proper and actually lived like really close to downtown. Um, Still, you know, Münster's not that big, so you're still very close to kind of the big parks and um, forest and, you know, fields and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it was like a 10-minute bike ride from downtown, shopping mile and whatever. Mm. So that was a very different, very different environment. So... Why, why is it so important to, you know, the differentiate between Northerners and Southerners? Well, so one thing is soccer, right? Like you usually... Football. Either, football. Football, yeah. Football. Because if you it's are football. supporting a Northerner team, then you usually don't also support a Southern team, right? Like you, you will find very few people who support like BFLB and Bayern at the same time. And if you do know someone, then you have to seriously question them, I think, how that happened. Um, That's true. I don't think I've ever met any, anyone who supports BVB, which is Borussia Dortmund for, the, um, every, um, for regular Americans. And um, Yeah, I've never seen anyone supporting Borussia and Bayern, except on the continental scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, I think the Northerners um, tend to pride themselves um, and not having a, as as much of an accent, I guess. Like the further south you go, the more people you hear, hear speaking with more of an accent, mm. like a local or regional accent. We do have that in the north, but I guess like people um, want to think that we don't. <laughs> when you come from the north, you want to think that you don't have that. <laughs> so <laughs> at least that's, that's yeah. Oh, interesting. Where I grew up. Interesting. <laughs> So, with that being said, what do you consider your favorite childhood memory? So, that's kind of hard. I, I have a lot of good childhood memories. Yeah, you can throw two in there. Um, like even that would still be hard, right? So, I'm just going to make a more of a broader statement. So, okay. even though I maybe was complaining when I was a child and always going on holiday, um somewhere where we would drive to, like the Netherlands or like Denmark 
um, we would like go camping a lot when I was little. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I was complaining at the time. Right. But mm-hmm. now I look at back at that really favorably. Um, and another thing is when, uh, I was growing up, uh, sometimes we didn't go on vacation during the summer. And so instead my parents bought me like a season ticket for the local pool and I would just go off and be at the pool every day. Um, now that I don't have the possibility or the ability to do that, like that's another really, um, like great childhood memory that I have. So one thing our daughter seems to like is water and just jumping in water or back being in the bathtub and whatever. So you're saying you may have contributed to that because I thought it was all about me. Well, so interestingly enough, about the first five years of my life, I hated water. Mm. So, so I, I don't know about like bath time, but I would hate getting water in my face when washing hair. Um, I was afraid of the waves on the beach. So my dad had to go and dig up a hole so that only the waves that crashed the furthest mm-hmm. would deposit a little bit of water in the hole. And that's where I would sit and play. Okay, that sounds really not enough. <laughs> <laughs> like I... Uh, I was supposed to, or I, I was in this in this class to learn how to swim, and I was just not having it. I wasn't putting my face in the water. I refused to put my face in the water for the longest time. So how and did you like swimming pools then? So at one point, we were on vacation in the Netherlands with uh, family friends, and one of them took me to this really, there was like a really fancy pool with like a lot of splash things and twirly waters and like um, like an adventure pool, or however you want to call that. And there was this area where you had to dive under this partition to go from the inside to the outside. Mm-hmm. It was really just, you know, you really just had to dip your head in the water, basically, to get under it. And um, for some reason, she was able to get through to me on how to do that and not be afraid. Mm. And ever since, my parents, like, through the rest of my childhood, my parents were not able to get me out of the water ever again. And how old were you when that happened? I must have been five or six, because right around six-ish is when I... Um, so in Germany, you, you get, like, this little certificate when you know how to swim, like, one full lane. Yeah. And, and you get to, like, dive in a little bit. So I, did, I got that, like, right around, like, going into first grade. Oh. So... So ever since first grade, like yeah. that, that's when I would just spend, you know, every um, free, warm summer day at the pool if I, if I was able to. I actually got so far that um, we, we had this rule that it had to be a certain temperature because I was the kind of kid I would just be like, well, the sun's out, like, let's go. <laughs> um, whereas, whereas the rule was that it had to be a certain temperature to actually go. Um, so I tried to manipulate the thermometer that was hanging outside the kitchen window. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that it would show warmer than it actually was. So that, in a way, speaks to the person you are today because you, that, that was like one of the first times you conquered uh, an obstacle in your part and yes. never looked back. And nowadays, you know, you're that type of person who once there's, a huddle in front of you, 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 you don't 
has is like you, you, once you set your mind to conquering it, you, you don't you don't think twice. You just like power. I'm gonna take it down. And as I bring that up because like you know during the pregnancy, you know you, I still remember when you were like I'm gonna build this furniture set, and I was like, um, she you doing this? <laughs> And you you just, mean at eight and a half months pregnant or nine months pregnant? Yeah. You were like, yeah, I want to do this and pow, 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 and I was like, okay, well, maybe I want. I, 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 I think, but well, I don't know where I was going, but I was like, yeah, when I get back, I'll come help you. And by the time I got back, um, the whole, the whole set or whatever had been built, and I was like, wow, just <laughs> yeah, that German efficiency is right there. But yeah, you know, so it started pretty early. I see it, but yeah, it, it, it comes with the territory. You, you. you you got it in you, like, pretty early. So, yeah, that, that's awesome. I never looked at it that way, actually. Yeah, that's why I always ask about the favorite childhood memory, you know. It, 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 it shows a lot of stuff people have in them from um, pretty early. So, um, another thing about you is that um, that makes you stand out is um, one of your parents happens to be a police officer. <laughs> and... Over here, when people hear that, you know, there's a certain expectation. Like, not just all over in the United States, around the world, people have that interpretation, like, you know, the, 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 there's a certain expectation of how you were raised. And when you tell people of how you grew up, how, how, what's the reaction or how do people react when, when they hear that? Like, thinking about looking to your dad being a police officer, I'm like, oh, you know, the expectation, like, or see this type of person, or like the picture that has been created of someone in uniform. Yeah, I think that does not apply to how I grew up, in general terms at least. Especially the way um, police officers are often seen in the U.S. I'm not familiar with that type of policing to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is probably because Munster is just like, not that exciting and not that dangerous it's a little like you know it's it's a it's a city right it's like i don't know two hundred fifty thousand people or something like that but it's not um it's not the type of policing that you see in the u.s it's not the type of policing that you see in the media um when i think about growing up as as a daughter of a police officer what stays in my mind is like my dad would drop by with his colleagues to like half coffee for their break right instead of going to buy somewhere because we lived so close to downtown to where his precinct was um and when we had just moved there the whole neighborhood was um talking about it gossiping about it because you know every other week the police has to come by (laughs) because they didn't know that it was actually my dad um Another thing that I do remember, uh, which was kind of funny, um, later on when I was in high school, there was something going on where you needed to sub- you needed to get something signed. You do, you were allowed to participate in something, and you had to pay mm-hmm. a certain amount. Like, and I had forgotten the money. I'd taken the slip, the signed slip, and I'd for- forgotten the money on the table. So my mom had called my dad already and told him that I'd forgotten it. So he was waiting with the police car in front of the school, was waiting for me. And kind of like waved me over in front of all the teachers that were out and doing like the 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 traffic monitoring, right, yeah. uh, for the bicycle stuff like that, and for the buses, uh, in front of all the other students, 
like he waved me over and then it was really just to give me the money to pay for my like school whatever fee that was but of course like that kept the rumor mill going Oh, the rumor mill that you... Oh, no, that, that I must, you know, like, something must be going on because, you know, the police, like, picked me, the only person out of all the, you know, hundreds of kids going to school that morning, they yeah. picked me out. Uh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so when I say policing, the way I... I saw policing in Germany or generally in Münster, right? Like, it was different as things like... I got tickets... And nobody was taking care of them. I had to pay them, right? Like, my dad didn't bail me out of a ticket. Like, if I got the ticket for a reason, like, let's say my bicycle didn't have a lamp that worked, right? You actually get a ticket for that. If you um, run a red light on a bicycle, you get a ticket for that. Even if you're not of the age that you're allowed to drive, it doesn't matter. Once you're actually allowed to drive, Mm -hmm. Even if you're not driving a car, even if you're riding a bicycle yeah. and you pa- you run a red light, you can still get points wow. against your license. Oh, so <laughs> or by the time like you that. get your license, you already like you've this. already been building points. No, no, you no, 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 you haven't. But like you, you like you can you can get in real trouble. Like if you if you're if you actually have a driver's license, yeah, and then like break the traffic laws on other vehicles, apparently. Oh. Um, luckily, like shortly after I got my license, I moved. So that was so much of a problem. Um, but yeah, I had to pay my own tickets. And um, if my dad got a ticket, he had to go and pay it too. Right. Like, yeah. so it's not the same as you have it here. Oftentimes where people are have the expectation that if you are related to a police officer, you get breaks, you don't get the parking ticket or you don't get don't have to pay it. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. I did not see that Hmm. Uh, one thing i found interesting when i started knowing uh started to um started getting to know your story was um especially when i got to meet your family was how uh, they allowed you to be you yes and I, i just found it fascinating that you know most Officers, uh, police officers that are new, um, children of those people—they they seem to be like by the book, strict. Like it's how they expect their kids to grow up, and it doesn't inv- include allowing them be themselves. Mm-hmm. But you got allowed to express yourself, and just found that fascinating, and. So by the time I started knowing about how the police, um, the police in Munster operated, it wasn't a surprise per se because I already knew, um, I'd heard about, um, excuse me, interactions of other people like um, service members who had been stationed in Germany, the interactions with police officers in other cities in, in Germany. And it was a lot different from what they had experienced here, yeah, and it's part of the reason why a lot of a few uh, people who I got to know, including someone who's been on the show already, mm-hmm. um, said they just felt like, yeah, Germany's home. They don't, they don't, they, they, they would rather stay in Germany than return back to the United States. So that that that's part thing is surprising, but it was the way you you were allowed to grow up and be you. That was the thing that shocked me. I was like, wow. Uh, 
There was no this. I'm you. You don't talk back to me. You don't this. You play. You play by the rules, young lady. And they, I was like, wow. They, they, you was. Yeah. No, that's not at all how I grew up. That's very true. <laughs> yes, I. Um, I was encouraged to discuss things and question things. Um, I don't know if that was a conscious decision that my parents made, mm -hmm. but it was always okay to like discuss politics for example um and it was always part of the conversation especially the conversations i had with my with my mother um from a very early age on and uh, and then they once i got a little bit older like let's say 12 13 um then if they had friends over and you know there was a conversation w amongst the adults and i just happened to sit at the same table um, I wasn't shut out of the conversation just because I wasn't as old as them, right? Yeah. I wasn't an adult. I, if I wanted to be included, I was included. Oh. And I do think that shaped me and I do think that shaped how I, um, how I've learned and how I've, um, argued or discussed mm. things. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do, I do think that was, that was very helpful and the other thing i think where my parents really um let me be myself is when it came to like expression through clothes i know that doesn't that might not sound like a big deal um but to me it was a huge deal because you know your parents buy your clothes like they tell you what to wear when you when you're little right like you yeah. have you have some choice but you know they're still the ones paying for it so at some point when i was like 12 13 or something my parents actually gave me a budget so we figured out how much they spend on an average in an average year on like my clothes and like other incidentals, broke that down by 12. And that was the amount I would get every month into my own personal bank account. And then I could decide if I wanted to buy like the expensive jeans oh. because I thought I needed to have them. But then I maybe was only, a, a, you know, able to buy one pair instead of three. Right. Yeah. But that was a choice that I that they empowered me to make. Um. And so that gave me a lot more ability to express myself just like in the sense that, you know, I could make my own decisions. That's powerful. And, and it also teaches you how to, you know, value money and how to budget. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said it's powerful because um, it's something that I, I see and I understand the people who are making the case for it now that, we need to teach our kids um, financial management and all that. I'm not too, I'm not against it, but I'm also kind of like, you know, it, it, there's something that feels when it's forced, you know, it, it feels forced in a way, but something organic, like the way you went through it, when it's coming from the family, it stays with you longer mm -hmm. than when, it's in a, a, a classroom setting. And if you don't have, it, it becomes, do you have somebody who's, um, what's, what's the relationship with the, the chemistry with the teacher and the students? Do you, is the teacher equipped to be in that room? Is, it the, 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 you know, is, is the school well-funded, you know, mm -hmm. the district and all the, those other um, dynamics start to play in there. 
And then is it okay if it's this district if the school is in the wealthy district then you know that's going to be well taken care of if it's in the wrong district then mm -hmm. you know the, then all those questions are going to be asked but when you see a family where they give that power of independence to the the, the child like you know you just brought a memory uh, of what happened uh, how old was I then I was probably. Uh, I think 10, 10 or between 10 and uh, 11, 10, 10 and 12. And we went to, I think that was one of, we went to Port Harcourt. I was staying, we were staying in Benin then. So probably, uh, no, before 10, I was uh, probably 8. Yeah, between 8 and 10. And we went to Port Harcourt to visit an uncle. And one of my cousins, who I can't even recall his name now, um, he took some money which he claimed he had been saving the the story was a little bit mushy i can't recall but he disappeared and we, this was back when we weren't supposed to be we weren't given freedom to go out per se but sometimes we rebelled and did our thing and he was a little bit older than we were i think yeah he was a teenager so he was probably maybe like five six at most seven years older than we were and he went out, but came back late. So they were freaking out. I remember my mom, it's coming to me now. My mom was you know, and uh, freaking out with his dad. And they were like, well, should we go to the police station and start you know, declaring like, you know, maybe he was arrested or something, you know, because police used to, they've been doing raids for a long time. They just round up young people they see mm -hmm. on the streets and take them and then wait for parents to show up and come bail them out, you know, and he shows up like around 9 p.m., which now it's not late <laughs> as an adult. But back then, you know, it was, what if this young kid who has, who's never gone out, you know, it's considered, how dare you come back this late? And he showed up around 9 p.m. And they were, you know, yelling at him. And he had a bag, a plastic bag with him. What was in the bag? And we were all like peeping from the room, you know, like, what happened? What happened? And I know they were yelling at him, yelling at him, and then he finally came into the room. We couldn't get, hear everything, and then he came into the room, and we're like, well, what's going on? Like, you know, he's like, oh, I went shopping. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, I went shopping. <laughs> I saved money. He's like, yeah, I took all the money I had, and I went shopping. But I had to go to this other market that was, like, in the other part of town or wherever. I can't remember what part of Potako they live, but he, he went somewhere. And so he, he was literally going from shop to shop to shop to find what he want, wanted to buy. He probably overpaid for the jeans, but he I think it was just like two pair of jeans that, <laughs> that it took him the whole day to figure it out. And just using this, I just brought that to my mind. Like, but he had that experience and he he was happy. He didn't, I think he got beat, he got flogged or whatever, but he didn't care. He didn't care because I, I don't recall him crying when he came into the room. He had that smug look on his face, yeah. but he was like, I went shopping, but he... he and then I, later on, I remember my mom saying something to my uncle when his dad was still yelling. And she was like, well, he knows how to buy good clothes, though. So at least he didn't go buy drugs or something, you know. And it was actually nice jeans that he bought. So, you know, and but just something like that. Just I, I just remember that, you know, because we, we went, we, we went, nobody gave us, trusted us with money. Go, go buy your own clothes. No. You, you had to be over 18, probably in your 20s before you started doing that. 
I'm sure my parents were cringing at some of the choices I made mm-hmm. as well. Oh, I've seen the photos. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Uh, <laughs> um, I won't post them. Don't worry. So, so you know, I'm I'm sure they they you know they were they were a night or two when they were like, what did she? What was she thinking? Um, but in general, they did just. Um, it was kind of a little bit of a give and take. Like they did trust me, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was always the kid when I said like, "Oh, this is where I'm going. I'm gonna be back by nine. I was back by at you know nine fifteen, the latest, right? But so that allowed over time that just built the trust that my parents were like, "Oh, okay, so you now you come back by midnight, right? And as long as I kept being back on t- on time. Mm-hmm. Like the the rules became less strict, I guess. Oh, yeah. and uh, you know, of course, I was getting older too. Um, and so interestingly, though, this goes back to the policing part. The first time I was carded for alcohol, um, so in Germany, you're allowed to drink beer and wine when you're sixteen. And um, I had these older friends, and they just happened on that night. The ones that I was out with were all of the boys because the girls were already at the party that we were going to. And in Germany, you can have an open container in the street too. That's, that's generally okay. allowed. Um, so we were walking down this street to get to the party and it was like an industrial kind of part, more industrial part of town. And that was the first night I got caught it. It was my 16th birthday. It was the day <laughs> of my birthday. Um, so yeah, that, that worked out well. <laughs> Because it definitely was not the first time I had beer. <laughs> but hey, it, 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 it's good that, uh, you know, the, the decision was made to start trusting you. And, you know, they put you in, in a position to start learning how to take decisions. Because over time, you get used to it. You know, you're yep. allowed to fail, to make mistakes, and learn from it, and grow from it. Because... No matter what we do or how we, we we think we have the best interests of our younger ones, of our, our children, they still have to make their own decisions themselves. Yeah. And we cannot claim to be protecting them always by making their decisions for them 24-7. They will have to get into that phase where they get to decide. And... That's why when I've been in a, in a room over there talking about, look, how do we change the leaders? How do we do that? And I'm like, why, why don't you start teaching young, putting young kids, you know, allowing young kids make decisions about leaders? Leadership, who do you want to lead you? Allow them to decide. And if you don't allow them to start making that decision, well, then is it when, when they become 25, when they become 30, then you're like, okay, now go decide. And you're like, um, we've never made that decision in our life, so... Now that they're gonna start staring at you, okay, you make the decision, and then you know, like, oh, these youths, we can't trust them because that's what's happening well, back where I was born. You having that conversation now that we can't trust the youths, but I'm like, you never trusted them, <laughs> but they don't realize that it kind of grows because in the farm at home, you never trusted them, and out in the society, how it plays out too because you don't trust them at home to to make decisions, and then. In schools, you don't trust them. And how are they supposed to learn to trust themselves if yeah. they don't get to make choices? Because and and at the same time, you're always selling a perfect picture that like you have to be perfect. 
Yeah. Because you're not allowed to make mistakes, you're not allowed to fail and learn from that failure and move forward. So it, it, I do think I do really think my parents raised me. I don't, again, like I don't know how if they did this intentionally. I never actually asked them, but they did definitely raise me to be independent, um, to be to think for myself, and also be able to defend my position, like in you know in a conversation and discussion, mm-hmm. whether that's just you know which food I like better or, or political or you know, uh, but they did they did teach me that to a certain extent and um the same with um you know money for example um and i think the other thing where when it comes to that like teaching me to be independent um i think the fact that my mom was working um helped kind of set that expectation for me as well oh. right so i never i never at any point um, during growing up and, and my mom didn't work all the time and she didn't always work full time, but, um, I knew that she worked. Right. And so during growing up, I never had this expectation that I was going to go marry someone and they're going to take care of me. Yeah. Um, I always had the expectation was like, whatever happens, I, you know, I, I can take care of myself. Mm. Very important. So. Um, moving forward, you came to United. You you will come to United States at a pretty young age, your first time ever, and that also leans into what we've just been discussing. Um, about being your your it links to your being independent, and uh, how so? How old were you when you made your first trip to United States, and? What was the, what 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 stood out? What what shot you? You know, positive or negative? Was there any culture shock that you had in that moment? So the first time I came to the United States was for vacation. Um, I was sixteen. I did come without my parents, um, and I traveled with my boyfriend at the time, who was a couple years older. So he had a driver's license. His brother had just been in the U.S. for a high school year. He left the car that he had that his his brother the, the brother had purchased um for us at the airport and then we took the car from there and we traveled um up and down the east coast for six weeks. Um now this was before everyone had a cell phone, so yeah, my parents really had to trust that everything was gonna be okay. Um we did call them from payphones like here and there, right? Like yeah. if we had enough quarters and if we remembered. Um but yeah, I think culture shock at that point in time was different. And the reason I'm saying that is because at that point, a lot of my expectation about what the U.S. was like was um, based on pop culture. Okay. So a lot of the things we went to see and like the stuff, you know, was also more driven by being the typical tourist, mm. right? So I have to admit, we did go to SeaWorld, right? Because I had I, I did not know or maybe not understand and didn't um, have the resources available to really understand that what they're doing there is not good for the animals that Ooh, are there. I, I didn't know until I... Um, when was that? When did that report come out? A few years ago? Yeah, maybe? that was the only time I it began to occur to me that, oh... 
yeah. So this was when I was sixteen, right? And like SeaWorld was like one of those brands that you've heard of, or one of these parks that you've heard of that we didn't have anything similar in Germany. Mm. Like smaller, maybe yeah. like you know you have like these dolphin shows here and there at the zoo or something, but nothing of that. So that was something I really wanted to see. I went to go see Niagara Falls, um, Washington D.C. So wait, well, where did like you guys that. start from? Uh, so <laughs> we landed in D.C. and then we drove to West Virginia um, because oh, that's, uh, the, that's, that's quite a tourist <laughs> destination. <laughs> the boy I was traveling with, he had stayed in West Virginia for a year during his high school time. So he had friends there. Um, so the person um, that he had stayed with for the year and then his brother had stayed with a family in the same community for a year. Yeah. So, yes, this was a really and this wasn't even like a city in West Virginia. This was like a tiny town in the mountains where your next door neighbor is like a mile down the road. Um, so that actually was a bigger culture shock than I think like a more unexpected one. Um, because first of all, I had a really hard time understanding people, right? So English as a second language, never been to the US before, still learning how to have a regular everyday conversation because that's not what you learn in school when you're in Germany, yes. right? We have English from fifth English from fifth grade on, but you don't learn how to actually have a conversation with someone. You learn kind of like what's in the book mm. and how to like read text and then write answers. Um, oh, it's never, more like never, school. Never, it's more yeah. like school English. Okay, yeah, it's I, not. I never considered it from that point of view. But and even just simple things like household items. Yes. Like someone was telling me to put the letters in the colander, and I just stared at them. I was like, I have no idea what you just said. Well, I, I, I understand. I relate to that because coming from, um, coming from someone who understood just uh, British English, well, I thought I knew American That's... English until I arrived here, and then when uh, people started speaking to me in American English, I was like, "Yeah, that's uh, it's different from the movies." Yeah, when someone's talking to you directly, you're like, "Bro, what are you saying again?" Yeah, I think it was just bro, bro. I was just saying bro, bro. And then <laughs> now I can't even speak British English anymore. So. Yeah, it goes away. So I learned British English in school mm -hmm. because that's, you know, what you learn in yeah. where, where I went to school. And um, that completely went away. Yep. I do think I sound a lot more American now. Than uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> Upstate New York. Again. Oh, please. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, I met these West Virginians um, who are from this really small place. And some of them went away for college and then moved back home to, like, take over the family business. But then there were also a couple of uh, people. So at some point we were asked if we could help um, bring in hay. So wow. we were bringing in, like, they, they were bringing in the hay, hay bales, and mm -hmm. then we were putting them from the tr from the truck bed, uh, the, the thing that behind the tractor, onto um, the conveyor that would then put it up on the top of the barn. I was the only female that was helping. Because they were asking us, I thought they meant that that included me. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll help. Um, and so that, I think, really surprised some of the older people, like, and when I say older, like in their 60s or 70s, yeah. um, who the last, like, this, this is going to sound horrible, but who the last time they actually left um, that particular part of West Virginia was when they 
um, went to war during like the Second World War or the Vietnam War. Okay. So they they have like you know they went away they came back and never never left again kind of situation. Yeah. Um. Those were also the the people that I just I tried but I just could not understand them. I literally needed a translator. Um. And to everyone who's been to West Virginia, like if you go really deep into <laughs> the countryside. Sorry? What was the city called? That's it's not a city, it was a town. Okay, I don't remember the name called? anymore. No. But I remember it wasn't it was in Germany v- Valley. What? It was in Germany Valley. There's a Germany Valley in there? Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I never um, planned to yeah, but yeah, yeah I, so I've, I've only driven past West Virginia. I, I literally needed a translator. First time to the US, like that was where we spent the first week and I was just I just couldn't decipher the, the local like I just yeah and I, I got actually I got really discouraged I was like you know I studied so hard and I can't even communicate with people but yeah that was that so that was one type of cultural shock I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the other one was the religious side of things so the other person or the other we stayed with was a um, United Methodist past uh, do they call them pastor Reverend, yeah. preacher, I don't pastors, know. Pastors, okay. Yeah. Um, so because that was the, the, the person that my, my boyfriend at the time had lived with during his high school year. Yeah. So we went to visit him and he was in a somewhat larger place. That place at least had a mall. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I would like to stay there. So I mean, Get some discount shopping. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying that because you know, just to say, like you know, the place like I forgot what the town was called, but it was a little bit bigger. It mm-hmm. was like the next bigger place, and so um, we had to go to church. Like the week that we stayed there, we oh. had to go to church on Sunday. Oh, serious. Um, and on Wednesday or something. Uh, yes, because we stayed at the pastor's house. Oh, right. Okay, so yeah. like, yeah. and the other thing was we weren't allowed to tell anyone that we were actually staying in the same room oh. and using the same bathroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't want no scandal, you know? Yeah. And then uh, one thing I still remember to this day, which again, like maybe not a culture shock, but a like, significant difference. Um, the service that we did go to, the first thing that was happening was the pastor standing up and saying, you know, you know, welcome to the service today, da, da 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 And, you know, can we get a round of applause for the janitor who just repaired the AC? And everyone stood up and clapped. I'd never seen that in church before. Like, people standing up and clapping. Oh. Like, yeah, that growing up in Germany and ever only ever going to Catholic church, like, yeah. I guess. Well, it's different. <laughs> you don't, yeah, you don't when, when, yeah, that. If, if, yeah, I can see how that's, yeah, because I, I've been to Catholic church. I've been to Baptist. I've been to Methodist once. And evangelical a lot, so yeah, I, I, it's just I, very different. It's different. <laughs> all of them are different. Anglican too. I've been to Ang- Anglican. Yeah, I've been. I've been all. I've been to all. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I can. I can see it. How someone who hasn't been to anything outside of Catholic, yeah, you're gonna be like, what is going on here? Well, even like even if you go to um, Protestant church in Germany, like people want to like say stand up and clap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Um, so, yeah. So I, but I think there was a whole different level of culture shock once I moved here. Because that's when you start looking under the surface. 
right? When you just come and and go on vacation and you drive around and um, you, you know, maybe like stay in a hotel, a yeah. motel here, you stay on a playground, you talk to people, but you don't get to look under the surface as much. Mm. And I think once you actually live here, it's a different story. Also, you know, now I'm going to date myself, but like this was like 96 that I came for the first time. So, yes, we had the Internet, but obviously not the same way Ew, as yeah. we have it today. Right. So did I read I I was reading news in English, so U.S. news, but not at the same level as you have access today right of course so that's what i mean with like once you actually move here and you start to see everyday life and you start to experience how people treat each other on a daily basis um and you actually see the news every day like the local news you get a very different um yeah how do you say it? like a very different understanding yeah of the differences. The, the whole glamour changes. You, you no longer... Well, I mean, the, the glamour parts can still stay, right? But you're adding well, on you, to it. it. You can add or you can subtract or you can choose to ignore. Depending on of course, where yes. you, you are or what you choose to see. But it, yes, and some yeah, people... Yeah, I mean, some it, people who... It depends who, on what you... you yes. know, where, where you choo- what you choose to see or where you... But, that's if, actually very true if, because if you see if if you stay and you experience because you you did a whole tour which many people don't have still not done I won't name names and yeah so you got to experience uh, a lot and that's something to take home and you know and you curious you're a curious person so you obviously started asking questions I'm surprised you didn't ask the, the you didn't get in trouble with the pastor but yeah. No, because he himself was very liberal and very open-minded. Okay. Um, it was more that he was worried that he was going to get he was going to get in trouble <laughs> if we tell like like he yeah. also he also was fine with me drinking drinking beer in his house because I was over the age of sixteen I was allowed to do it in Germany so he really didn't care. Um, so I had a beer with dinner when they had a beer with dinner. Yeah, but that, well, but at well, the same time, what state like, was that? I was still in West Virginia. Yeah, I was still in West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, I mean that um, that that's like. Isn't that like drinking age there with the parents? I don't know. Yeah. But he was yeah. not my guardian. He was not my parent. He was just an adult. Yeah, technically he was your guardian. But yeah. By the rules. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I guess. So, now, uh, you had that tour. So, that already sowed a seed in you. And then, you will decide to stay to come back full time yeah and then go full gangster <laughs> new york <laughs> east coast <laughs> unlike namik who went who claims uh, who's who's east coast but is t- loyal to, to tupac oh. Shakur. that's uh, our, our good friend but yeah, he's been wow. he's been marking Tupac Shakur's anniversary. He won't wear anything else for the past few days. I'm like, bro, give it up. You won't move to LA. You'll be you'll be you'll be in New York rubbing it in our faces. <laughs> supposed to be loyal to Big. Live in Brooklyn too. But anyway, I had to throw that dig. But yeah, so um, you chose New York. Surprisingly, you didn't choose West Virginia. 
So you should have been in West Virginia. Why? Oh, well, so first of all, they're way too conservative for me. Okay, why not DC? I would have gotten myself in trouble. You could have gone to DC then. Uh, I could have, but I didn't think DC was awfully interesting. Enough. I mean, it's great for like a tourist destination, right? So mm-hmm. like in my mind, DC was a tourist like government and tourists tourism like i didn't i didn't experience any like regular life there so it's really just government and tourism good notes then (laughs) and so new york also happened more i don't want to say by accident but um it wasn't 100 percent planned and so when i finished high school i applied to a bunch of different study programs and one of which was called european business program european business program at the time um I mean, it still is a um, network of schools where they have a defined program on how you move between the school that you started and a partner school abroad. And so at the time, I went with the link with Rotterdam because it was in English. And um, you had to do an internship in Germany and an internship abroad. And when I was getting ready to apply for internships abroad, it was... um, just after 9-11 so it was really really hard to find anything to find a company to um welcome you you know like they they were just they they just weren't thinking of that at the moment like they had way other things to deal with um and so i relied on my school to help me find a placement and they had worked with this small company that happens to be in new york uh, before they, ha- I guess they placed people there before, and they were looking for someone, um, and they said, "Yeah, sure, just you know, send them over. It's fine." And so that's what I mean, like kind of by accident. <laughs> I hadn't really planned it, in a way. It was just so happened that you know the school had a placement in New York, and they recommended me, and that's how I um, got here. And I I stayed here for six months, um, working. So when you arrived in New York mm-hmm. this time, because you, you, you've gotten a little bit wiser, you know, I've added a little experience, was it different? Was there a different shock? Yes. Um, but that had more to do with the circumstances rather than with the U.S. or with New York. Yeah. Reason is I got really sick on the flight over. Uh-oh. Yes. So... Uh, I'm assuming it was something I ate on the plane. Obviously, it's not New York. We got good food. Here. <laughs> no, because it started because it started at the airport. I wasn't feeling well getting off the plane, so I'm collecting all my stuff. Right um, now, I'm coming as a student, so I have like no budget. Um, so I had looked up how to travel from JFK Airport on public transportation. So I'm making my way, you know, like the airport train, the A train. Um, of course, it takes forever. Um, and, like, I'm starting to feel really crazy. So by the time I actually um, finally in East Harlem at the hostel that I was trying to get to, first off, there's a sign in the door that says, call this number when when you get, like, here. Um, because there was actually no one at the front desk. So the door was locked. Mm. Now, I'm standing there. I have traveler checks in my... And, and maybe have like $10, but I have no coins. I have no cell phone because I still oh, had to get that, yeah, yeah. right? I just landed. What do you do? <laughs> so that, I went to the, I went, <laughs> I, I, I went to the bodega at the corner with like, you know, all of my luggage. 
Um, and and the, the, the gentleman was so nice to like call the number and say, hey, there's someone here um, who who booked the room like or, or a bed. Basically, it wasn't a room. It was a bed. Um, can you guys open the door? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but at that point, I'd already been up for like 24 hours. I was just like, oh, my God, this is going to be so strange. So all that to be said, I got sicker and I had to go to the hospital because I obviously didn't have a regular doctor. Mm-hmm. At this point, um, I was really sick and I was not keeping anything in, not even water. Wow. I was severely dehydrated and I was starting to have some real problems. So I still wanted to save money, so I walked to the hospital. I go to the emergency room. Again, very different experience than what I'm used to. I've been to the emergency room in Germany, and it's a very, very different experience. First off, um, they don't actually like even talk to you until you're properly checked in. And that process alone was um, a test of patience. That you're talking about the American, right? Yes, the American, yes. Okay. So this was Mount Sinai in, what was it, 2002, I guess? Um, and I'm sitting there and this woman keeps saying like, okay, I have, you know, writing down my, my address that's on my insurance paperwork, um, because I had insurance paperwork through the internship, but it is like an international insurance. So the address on there is my parents address in Germany. So she keeps asking, what state is that in? And I keep telling her it's not in a U.S. state. This is an international insurance this is in Germany. And she keeps asking, yeah, but what state is Germany in? And I'm just like, but I don't even know how to answer. Like, I don't know how else to explain to you that Germany is its own country. <laughs> um, and so that in itself was like, and, you know, mind you, like I'm sitting there. I'm not like in the best shape. I'm yeah. really sick. Um, then there's signs everywhere that, you know, you have to pay a minimum of like $750 just to be seen by a doctor or something like that. Um, so like on the inside, I'm panicking a little bit because, um, until my first paycheck from the internship comes in, like 500, I think was what I had mm-hmm. with me. Um, I did have a credit card luckily. So, but yeah, I was like panicking a little bit there. Then you know, they take care of me eventually. I see a doctor, whatever. The doctor is super nice. She actually gave me a bunch of samples of the medication that I needed just to make sure that I had enough um, and didn't have to wait for, like, the international insurance to figure out how to get me medication. Okay. Um, now it's, like, 12 hours later or so, and I get ch- I get checked out again. I go to the whatever place, you you know, they took me to, to um, sign out. And the woman presents me with a bill. That's when panic really set in. That was a big number. Just for the fact that they, like, didn't really run any tests and just gave me an IV with, like, salt water, basically, um, for a couple hours. How much was the bill? I don't recall exactly, but it was just a huge amount. And and luckily, the person at the billing desk was super help, super helpful. Um, because she figured out that the person in the beginning never actually entered the fact that I had insurance because she couldn't figure out how to enter my address. Wow. So otherwise I would have sat there with like a couple thousand dollars to pay, um, 
<laughs> and this was, you know, I, I'd been there for two days, <laughs> in the country for two days. So that was you my introduction. You would have invented GoFundMe right there or something. <laughs> that was my introduction to the uh, U.S. healthcare system. <laughs> um, that was not fun. <laughs> yeah, that, that was quite the, the shock. Yes. So yeah. I think like that was one of the first times that I looked under the surface yeah. because now I was here and lived here and had to operate in daily life as opposed to being a tourist. Hmm. Well, uh, your welcome package was immediately was mm -hmm. like, bang, get started. But we're glad you made it. <laughs> and, you know, and then we got to meet you. You got to meet me and hey. You know, it's not that bad, the deal that you got. <laughs> See, New York, New York still works out. You yes. Know? So, um, I was going to jump forward a little bit, but I just need one story from you uh -oh. that I've heard before because, you know, my first time to Germany with you, you know, something happened. You know, we had just seen Get Out before we left, and <laughs> I got to... Your oh, that was parents. before you before you even met my parents, right? Yeah, just before. Um, yeah, for the first time. Yeah, I was with you, okay. you know, right? um, and uh, yeah, we get to your parents' house, and you know, your parents had to go. Uh, they had something planned that evening, so they they left us at home, and I had to go. Uh, they had told me where the, the good stuff was, the beer, and it was out in the back, but it was dark there. You know, I I didn't I didn't think about it. I was like, yeah, no need to turn on the light. You know, I'm about saving energy, you know. So uh, um, I go out there and grab a bottle and sit down, having my nice cool beard, where I was cool. And I, you know, I'm having a sip. And then you just run and come grab the beer from me and take off. <laughs> and then return back with another bottle that looks exactly like the bottle that I was drinking. And I was like, um, why would she do that? This is, I've barely been in this house for five to ten minutes. Is the black guy being, you know, should the black guy start worrying or what? <laughs> she was, uh, I, thought, I was expecting tea to be the weapon of choice, not beer. I mean, that's a smart, that's a smart way to go if you're going <laughs> to use beer to get the black guy, especially if the black guy is me. But, um, yeah, I don't know how to feel right now. And then you will say, oh, oh and you explain. So, but... Yeah, so you, obviously it was something about German beer mm -hmm. that made you do that. Yes. So what was, what was that story you told me about while you were in school? Okay, so when we were in university and we were in Rotterdam, um, school was in English, but everyday life still happened in, you know, like you had to, to have minimal Dutch language skills to kind of get by. Um, and... We had to learn Dutch in school for two for four semesters to even get the diploma from the from the Dutch like from the Rotterdam University, and that means everyone on our side had to do that. So people coming from France, people coming from Spain, from the UK, um, and us from Germany. Now Germans ha Germans, especially Germans who also speak English, have an advantage in learning Dutch because there are some similarities. Oh, really? There's some similarities between Dutch and German in terms of the words. Yep. And then there's some similarities between English and Dutch in terms of the grammar. Mm. So we, we, that's what it is this way. We had a little bit of an advantage. So come one night, um, my roommate, who's also German, whose name is also, was also Verena, um, we were out with a group of people who consisted mostly of French and Spanish students. 
And we're sitting by the lake and everyone's drinking and people are starting to get a little tipsy, like get a little drunk. And at some point, Verena and I were looking at each other and we're like, what is going on here? Because we looked at the beer that they had bought and we didn't think anything of it because like, but we looked at the beer and they actually purchased alcohol free beer, but they were acting tipsy. <laughs> so it turns out that like they didn't know they were drinking alcohol free beer. But yeah, we had a really good laugh about that <laughs> because, <laughs> because they were really just like some people were like, oh, my God, I already had six beers. And we we're like, yeah, but it's just like flavor, like it's like drinking soda. It's just, you know, beer flavored soda. Um, it tastes really good. So for, for those, you know, who don't know this, but German beer and Dutch beer, um, most brands have alcohol free versions yeah. that taste pretty much exactly the same as the ones with alcohol. And so it tasted good. And, you know, we were having a good time. We we're laughing and talking, but like we were definitely not getting drunk. So, yeah. I did notice that night the bottle that you picked had a red, like a little red tag on the side that said alcohol free. And I did know that you didn't mean to drink the alcohol free beer. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you missed your chance to you know, get one over me. That would have been a perfect story to tell for generations to come. Like, oh, he was drinking alcohol free beer and he got tipsy and, you know, and then... You know, and later on, the truth was revealed to him, and he was like, um, no, no, that can't be. No, 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 no. But no. I don't think you get drunk from drinking beer. I've never seen you drunk from drinking beer. Yeah, I'm like an elephant. You know? An elephant never forgets. So kind of same, same, <laughs> same with me. <laughs> ah, I can never get drunk. That's it. I just go to sleep. Mm, well, no. So I've seen you drunk, just not from drinking beer. You see me drunk before? Oh yeah. Well, I get drunk on. I don't know. I wasn't with you that night. I just only saw you coming home. And then going straight into the bathroom. Someone got me drunk. <laughs> I got drunk. <laughs> That's classified info. Let's move on. Let's move on. We don't need to talk about that. Let's move on more. People don't want to know about that. People want to know the real stuff. Okay. Let's, let's yeah, yeah. Let's 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 focus on you. They don't want to focus on me. <laughs> yeah. So Back to the um the more fun stuff. Okay. Since you've, you've mentioned beer, maybe we should just go straight to food. Oh, okay. Well, um, food intersects with me, but anyway, yeah. That's that's well. It relates to me in a way, so maybe we should start with. Uh, you've been in New York, you know, and you know, a few years down the line, you know, did you ever did you ever think that one day you've end up dating someone who was born in Nigeria, you know, uh, and how did that happen? Or how did that go about? How, how did you start dating a Nigerian born individual? And did he prepare you for what you were about to walk into, you know? No, I was not prepared. Yeah, give us some, <laughs> tell us about that, spill some tea. Well, so I Including never first, planned. First date experiences too. I, I never planned to date someone from Nigeria, but I also never not intended to date someone from Nigeria, right? Like, so I think being single in New York, I know some people have like, you know, very specific ideas of 
the person they want to be with in terms of the background. Mm -hmm. For me, it was much more important um, the character, right? Like the values, humor, things like that. I didn't have like a pre-filter based on nationality or anything like that. Or, you you know, just like background. You're much more nicer than I am. You're much more refined. My my standards was just simple, like uh, female, like a well, yeah, yeah, a woman, <laughs> sugar mama, preferably, a guy like you know, like a Saudi, like a Saudi princess type, money, oil field, preferably, but uh, yeah, sorry, no, uh, that okay. didn't work out, did it? It's okay. Um, yeah, yeah so I, I, I think I go West Virginia instead, so. and I think like so, first date experience. Well, I had a really shitty day at work that day. That's why I responded. Damn. <laughs> and I just, yeah. And Is it too late to change my mind now? Well, ask, ask the baby. Oh, you know she's going to side with me. I know how to get out of my side. Um, so, yeah. And so, you know, we, went, we met for, for drinks. And, well, on my side, it was dinner, too. I don't remember if you... Yeah. Okay. All right. So it turned into dinner. And I I had a really good time talking, but then... um, And then you even brought me back to my car. Such a gentleman. Yeah. Well, I I then also in return drove you back to the subway station that you need to go to. So, but... I was going to walk that far. Hello. Well... I completed my 10,000 steps. I didn't didn't, didn't need to (laughs) do extra walking. But so the thing that almost uh, derailed everything was what was that you didn't even try to go in for a kiss. Did you put on the green light or did you put on the yellow light? Uh, I th- the yellow light about a turn to red or the yellow light about a turn to green. I think it was pretty green. You sure it wasn't the yellow light? Yeah. Because sometimes it's the yellow light. Mm, no. Hmm. We'll have to check the replay. <laughs> You sticking to that story? Oh, I'm sticking to that story. Oh, now I recall it, but (laughs) pretty sure based on my record. um, Well, so how was it rectified? Mm, Well, I, I don't, I don't remember like who texted whom, but you did send me a text that night mentioning the fact. Such a gentleman. Mentioning the the fact, and then I responded that you know, I had wanted you to try that to try to kiss me or to kiss me, and you just didn't. So I think that led to us scheduling a second date. See, listeners, y'all should book your copy <laughs> of my book on how to win a second date. It's coming out soon, but I accept pre-orders. Just PayPal me the money, and you get your copy soon. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I remember like on the second date, yeah. I stayed out. We I, we stayed out. We went to the movies. Yeah, we went to the movies. Well, we went, went to the Mexican. You took, uh, Mexican for drinks, yes. Place for drinks. That was like underneath yeah. the movie theater. The movie, yeah. Then we went to the movies. And, and then what movie was it? Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> Good choice. And I think you saw it for what, like the third time or the fourth time that day, but I had never seen it. So not that. What? What are you trying? What kind of picture you're trying to paint? No, here? no, you no. no. You've seen day. it. You've seen it three times before. You went okay. with me that okay. day. 
Don't get people saying about me like, what is this guy doing with his life? But so all that to be said, and then we got to talking and, you know, um, I got back home at, I want to say like one or two in the morning and the car to pick me up to go to the airport was coming two hours later and I had not packed a single thing. That wasn't my fault. For for a 10 week, uh, 10 week, 10 day trip. Um, So that's like, yeah. Yep, I wasn't. I know that that wasn't your fault, exactly. but I just had a, I, it. Kind of was your fault. No, 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 that wasn't my fault. I gave you. I gave. I, I did. Told, I told you to pack I ahead did, of time. I did. I did. I did make it. I know you did. I know, but it, it was. But I made. Fault. I made some questionable choices in what I took with me in terms of clothing because I kind of just threw things in it. And I bag. wasn't responsible for that. <laughs> Full disclosure. But you made it. Yes. So and I. I you, you did not answer the part about, um, so were you prepared? Did it prepare you for what you were about to walk into? No, but I also... What? <laughs> God, me. I was not prepared. Oh, my goodness. In what way? Um, I, had no, I had no expectation what it means Being called to you. date someone from, to, who was born in Nigeria. Uh, not at all. I had no expectation or preconceived like idea of what that would include. Chief Daddy. <laughs> yeah, you didn't strike me as that type. Oh, oh. I also didn't know anything about Nigerian food, to be honest, exactly. before I met you. Exactly, and that's why you got. But prepared. now I know, Nigerian no. jollof is the best. No, see, you jumped ahead of the question, but <laughs> hey, you 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 had how many jollof have you had? Oh, so I had Nigerian, Ghanaian, Senegalese, and what's the other one? You've had, um, I think you've had Togo and Cameroon, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Togo, yes. Cameroon, I don't remember which one that was specifically. Well, maybe that's me, my brother, because I've had more. <laughs> I've had almost the love of West Africa. But, yeah. And you stick by... Nigerian jollof. See, I did not make her do that. It's because you all know my opinion when it comes to jollof. I love them all. Just keep inviting me. Well, yeah, I eat them all too. But if, you, if I had to pick one, then yeah. Okay. Hey, hey, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just, you know, you heard it from her. You know, she's a neutral party. And, you know, you heard it from her. So... Um, but you still you're a New Yorker, and when it comes to food, where does your heart belong to? What's your favorite overall favorite? If you have to betray one food, you know you can't betray which. But which one is like you can't live without? I have a favorite. Yeah, I do. You have to. Hmm. It kind of depends on the day. I don't think anybody has given that answer. I can't, I can't think of like what my favorite food is. Like what's your favorite German food? Or not, not German food. Or not, not Western. Okay, what's your favorite New York food? Well, you can get any food in New York. No. Moving on. You see, this, this, <laughs> no, this. but what, what did you think what my, was my favorite food? Uh, I don't, uh, now that, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can't, I'm not the guest. That doesn't matter, but you had something in your notes there. So what did you think was my favorite food? 
I did not write your food in, in here. I really wrote questions. <laughs> I'm not going to give out no, but, trade but, secrets. But to, 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 to be a little more... So I don't think I have a favorite food because I like a lot of different foods, as you know. I know. Um, and I like to try everything yeah. at least once. Um, because how else can I say that I don't like it? And... I think New York is actually really great. I mean, right now it's a little bit harder because a lot of places are closed down and a lot of places have limited, um, like you can't really eat in right now, right? Like so, um, but in general, like what the great thing about New York is that you can get every food here. Mm. Um, Facts. I mean, we we had like, what was it? Uzbek? Yeah, we right? Uzbek. Like, that's something I would have never, never even really thought of. Found by who again? Found by who? Me. What? Uh-huh. I'm the one who found that place, and I said, I, I, I haven't eaten there, but you know, I told you about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. See, I can't even get I looked it up in a Google search, but okay. When? I'm the one who told you about it. No, you didn't. How are you going to know about the place? I'm the, I'm the one who's been walking, I'm walking past it like five, ten times. Oh, oh my goodness. You, you, you've been hanging around Nigerians for too long. Look, 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 look at that. Well, whose fault is that? Chief Daddy. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, let's see, let's see. So, if you had to do it all over again, would you choose New York City or would you be on the West Coast? Now that you say it's New York versus the West Coast, that's that's like the only two places I could see myself to begin with in the United States right now. Um, I've been to other Dallas, really. Yeah, Dallas is still in Texas. So, there's Austin. It's a hippie town. Yes, but it's still in Texas. There's New Mexico. I don't know what's I... there. <laughs> No, I think I think I am. Um, I do what I let's look at it from the other perspective, right? Like, so what I do appreciate about New York is that it is cosmopolitan. Um, what I appreciate about Brooklyn and specifically the part of Brooklyn that we do live in, um, it is rather diverse, right? Like, mm, so if we coming from upstate person, just saying. No, but what I mean is like we go to the playground and we see families that are like ours. Right, we go we go out and we see people or, or couples that that are um, mixed. We do see people who look very differently from us, you know, and I think the diversity in in specifically in this area in Brooklyn helps me feel at home here, and I do like that everything is walkable. Right, like so, uh, for me that's a little bit, um, a little bit has a little bit of a like the metropolitan, somewhat, little bit European feel. Like you can walk to the park, you can walk to the supermarket, that kind of stuff. Um, you don't really need a car. Necessarily, and so I really like that. Whereas other places, that would probably not be the same. Right, I do think there yes does does new york have a lot of faults 
definitely. Um, but generally, I do feel at home here. Now, I've only traveled to the West Coast. I've never lived there. So I can't fully say that that would not work out. But I do not like the idea of earthquakes. All right, you passed. I've experienced test. I've experienced an earthquake before, even just a tiny one. Yeah, and it's, I found that very unsettling. Yeah, I experienced one in in um, Grapevine, just outside Dallas. Yeah, I was like, yeah, it's not, it's not for me. Probably that's why I never moved to Japan. Could have been I could have been over there, in the anime industry. But that's for that's a different story entirely. <laughs> So, um, you are also a HR professional and... Sometimes. Well, sometimes? Oh, alrighty. That's um, that's a new one to me. I'm not going to ask what the other one is, but I know one of, I know one other, but um, there might be something else that uh, I don't know, but I don't want to find out on air. But, um, yeah. What's uh, a key advice to anyone, especially young girls, you know, um, looking to get into your line of work, you know, um, especially girls from my background, mm -hmm. if they're interested in going into your line of work, your, your, your field of HR, what's the key advice that you give to them? So I think they're, because I've always worked for global organizations, um, in roles that had responsibility for more than one country. Um, that Those roles are usually with larger companies. And what I've seen the best way to get into those organizations is get an internship during the summer while you're still in school. Mm -hmm. Get a foot in the door. Even if you don't get an offer from that company, if you have a big name on your resume as an intern, you have a much higher chance to get picked up um, applying for an entry-level role. And I did not have that because I was coming from, you know, I, I mean, I had an internship here, but it was a small company. Like I said, it was a pretty small company the university had a relationship with. So when I got here, I started working for a uh, German company or German-based headquartered company. Um, and what got me in the door were my German skills. Oh, that was the the sound of the bribery two dropping. <laughs> I think she's falling asleep. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said, what got me in the door were my German skills. And the same um, when I then moved into HR, I went for a non-HR position in an HR team. So I was the person dealing with like builds and vendors and stuff like that for an HR team. Okay. But what got me in the door again were my German skills because that was a um, company headquartered in Switzerland. Um, but yeah, if you are coming from an English-speaking background, um, I think the best option is, or, or a really good option is to do an internship while you're still in school during the summer. A lot of large corporations have internships, like programs that uh, very in-depth and very organized. Yeah. Um, I have friends who, who used to run these programs, for example, 
in, in some, some companies, right? So Danielle ran one of those. Um, there's a lot of thought that goes into it to actually like not just use those people that come in, the students that come in as cheap labor, quote unquote, but to really like give them an experience and teach them something, teach them something about the company as well as the job. Um, so that also gives people a really good insight in whether they really want to do HR. Yeah. Um, because when I was, quote unquote, growing up, right, when I was going to university, I did not think in a million years I would end up in HR. Um, because the way that it was talked about and the classes that we have that were relating to HR were incredibly boring. Um did not sound interesting at all. Um, but maybe that had to do like with the professor or the way it was incorporated into the overall schedule. I, I don't know. It's been too long. But I do know distinctly like that was not on my list of choices of like the type of job I was going to go for. Um, so I kind of like came into it, like I said, from like, you know, I was doing a a um, more business-related role within an HR team and then got to see what the HR team actually did yeah. Yeah. and thought that was really interesting. Mm. Um, so when I did my MBA, I then focused on um, HR-related classes. So, yeah, and I do think, like, it ended up being a really good fit. So far, it's worked out. That's <laughs> yeah, in action, so... Yeah, I agree with that assessment. Thank you. You're superb what you do. <laughs> so, and, and I, 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 it was interesting you also mentioned something which I think you're also saying, well, language might be helpful, having adding language skills to HR. Yeah, so in the sense that um, what got me in the door at those two first companies once I moved to the U.S. was... German, proficient German language skills, right? Because those were, like one of them was a Germany-based company, the other one was a Switzerland-based company. So if you, let's say, speak fluent French and you are uh, applying for a um, organization that's like headquartered in uh, France or, yeah. or in Quebec in Canada, um, where French is the dominant language, that just, that can only help you because you can be... Not only uh, does it give you a little bit of leg up um, compared to other uh, candidates, but it also shows that you can also uh, kind of have a bigger role in whatever job you step into because you can be the cultural translator between the headquarters stuff and the local team sometimes. All right. It's a good gem to drop there. So... One of the other jobs that you have, that you share with me, but you you know you, you still you still get the, the the you still do the heavier lifting, is motherhood, and how has it been for you handling motherhood, dealing with expectations from different cultures and communities, and raising a daughter during a pandemic. That's a very big question. Because I, I don't really, ha I haven't really felt any expectations, like uh, that are specifically cultural, mm -hmm. 
um, to how we raise Clara. I do think I try to take cues from how my parents raised me. Um, or what I think how they raised me. Like I said before, I don't know whether a lot of the stuff they did was intentional. I never asked them. <laughs> well, I think they turned out good. Um, so. Yeah, so... Uh, and... I don't I, I try not to I, I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if any of it is culturally driven if it is it's subconscious it's not consciously f- like figured out I think the one thing that we do that is maybe less like mainstream American is like even if we were going to go and look for a daycare for her again, right? Like I would look for something that's not so, um, so much like a school. Yeah. And I think that is, that is culturally driven because, um, Northern Europeans tend to have more of the, um, approach that children should play Mm -hmm. and learn social interaction and find motor skills and, listening skills and patience and that kind of stuff patience by doing by doing little projects and stuff like that yeah. rather than being perfect at um counting to 20 or counting to 10 and being able to already write all the letters of the alphabet before they even get to kindergarten um and all that stuff i think that is culturally different but since she's only two that hasn't really played a big role yet i think um and the whole like parenthood during the pandemic i think you're more impacted by that than i am right because i do still i mean yes like sometimes you know i am already on a call with her on my lap in the morning um because working from home and you know having having her at home kind of overlaps things a lot but at the same time during the day, during my work day, I essentially close the door because I have to be on calls. I have to focus on my work. And you're actually shouldering a lot of the, like, day-to-day with her. I just bribe her. <laughs> so that's what's happening while I'm not there. I said, go away. Leave me alone. <laughs> mm, sure. I don't know you. When you're hungry, <laughs> call me. I'm sure that's what's happening every day. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Easy, easy peasy. That's how she learned all the animal names. I don't know. All by herself. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so getting to the wrapping up. But before we jump towards the wrapping up section, I have to hit you with one other question. Uh It's a fun one. Don't worry. It's not a hard one. There's something you didn't touch on, which is still a big part of you. Music. Music. Okay. Yeah. What are we talking about? So, where's, where's your favorite? Where, where, where does your heart belong to? Ooh. Who's the artist? Who's well, so generally, my heart does belong to hard rock. I know. Well, I, I I've, seen, I've seen the haircuts. I've seen the, 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 the jackets. I've seen the... And I do, I am still very, very partial to the um, band that originally got me into kind of that like rock music 
genre, um, Die Totenhosen. I still listen to them to this day. Say it again. Die Totenhosen. Die Totenhosen. I said it right? Yes. No, that was that absolutely correct. Yeah, well, I was what was a little bit applause. <laughs> what's a little bit shocking is so back when I was I don't know, twelve or something, when I started listening to them, my parents did not approve because they had some some texts that I guess they didn't think were appropriate. Um but at the same time, like that didn't stop me. And, you know, you get like these these posters that you can put on your wall. And so in my mind, that's still the way they look. And then recently I read an article and I saw like their recent pictures. They're now in their like, I don't know, late 50s, early 60s or something. I was shocked. I mean, of course, people get older. But in my mind, they were still looking like when I was 12. They didn't age well or what? No, they just aged like anyone ages. I mean, they probably didn't age too well because, you know, like alcohol and drugs at some point in their life. But the foil of the rock gods. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I was just I yeah, I just didn't I mean, logically you should expect it, right? Everyone gets older. But for some reason I didn't. So I was really shocked when I saw like a picture and it was like oh. Totten- That also that also makes me feel old, I have to say. That's all right. You're just 21 like me. Oh, yeah. Of course. Detoting Horsen. <laughs> Is that a good place to start if someone wants to get into German rock? Um, I guess so. I think at this point, they're probably um, a lot more mainstream than they used to be. Okay. But I don't know. I'm not following the German rock scene that closely anymore. What? You're unpatriotic. I know, right? German. We call ice. <laughs> so let's hit final question. Uh oh. You sound so serious when you say yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm always serious. You, you see me laughing? Do I look like I've been laughing all this time? On the inside. What? See, even, even our little one, the little Ronin over there said, nah, he wasn't laughing. He's been serious. He's been all business. So, final question. What's something that you would like to leave the audience with? Like, a, could be a word of advice, could be um, a line from a book you've read, or your favorite book, or a quote, you know, something for this time. So, just anything, you know, just you know, anything you like to say. So, I should have probably prepared for that um, and thought about that a little bit more, but um, I think my shirt today says it all. Don't be a lady, be a legend. Mm. And why is that? Um, well, the whole idea of being a lady is overrated. And it's much better to be a legend. I, I'm not in disagreement, but <laughs> that wasn't the answer I was expecting. No, but also, like, in light of current events, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away yesterday. The right. notorious RBG. Yes. Rest in power. And so that was a little bit of shock of the system. I didn't expect to be so emotionally impacted by it. Yeah. But she is definitely one of those people who did not worry about being a lady and became a legend. That's she did right. not worry about 
upsetting people with her stance on equality, even in her early, early uh, parts of her career where she argued um, in front of the Supreme Court, I believe it was the Supreme Court of all men, and got them to agree to her point on equality. Um, she did not worry about how that got perceived um, and how that was reflected on her as a woman. And she fought for equality through the entirety of her career. And therefore became a legend. Perfect. Ganao. So, do you have any plugins that you like to leave us with? Everyone needs to subscribe to this podcast. The best podcast out there. Everyone needs to share it with all of their friends all the time. And make sure all of their friends subscribe as well. Well, I'll, I'll take five stars. And like, oh, right. Five stars. Right. The ratings. If, yes. If, if you, if and you drop some mind. ratings and some, you know. Awesome. I'll just take five stars, not some ratings. <laughs> but thank you for the, you know, for, for the, for, for that. Well, you, you, know. you, you said at the beginning. There, there was you no know, gun pointed the... at her or anything. She wasn't, <laughs> she, she'll eat, she'll be giving, you know, she'll get food. She, was, she wasn't promised anything. But you said at the beginning, um, you know, I'm one of your biggest supporters. And so I had to, you know, live up to that All promise. Right. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. I mean, you did great. So, Dankeschön for blessing us with your presence and coming into the studio. Um, and Dankeschön, Lil running over there. I'm going to share, share one. She acting like uh, we're not even important right now, but as soon as she's hungry, she 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 holla. I can't believe she's still awake. <laughs> uh, she, she was the time, yeah. She she'll fall asleep soon, but uh, yeah. So thank you all for joining us. This has been a pleasure, and um, I look forward to part two where you get to interview me. I think about it, but no promises. But <laughs> thank you all and. Keep it keep on listening and join us for the next episode and thank you for the pleasure of your company. Thanks for listening to White Label America. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support. <laughs>